Never in the history of the world have the merchants of obscenity had available to them the modern facilities for disseminating this filth. Disseminating this filth. The onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Bingo. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Hello, Steve's here. I'm back. How are you? I'll be back. <laughs> no, I'm here. I've just been watching a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I see. Yeah. Marlo's here. What up? You know, just uh, listening to Jordan Peterson. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Let's get I this was... out of the way. Bonnie, what's up with Meghan Markle? Yeah, <laughs> I, I did. I'm fresh off the Oprah, Prince Harry, Meghan Markle interview. They done fucked up them broils. Yeah. Wait, was it just the abuse that was alleged? Oh, against Meghan Markle. Against or... her? I, I'm yeah, not sure. Uh, yeah, her uh, servants complained about being treated like servants. Well, I mean, I think they should appreciate their position on the hierarchy. Well, I just feel like 60 years ago, you could literally just murder these people for complaining. So, frankly, uh, I, I feel like this is politically used. <laughs> yeah. The, well, oh, a royal mistreated their servants? They're called servants. That's what they're there for. Well, to hear... Megan, tell it. None of the stuff that you've seen in the movies pans out. No sort of help with assimilating into this world was she offered. And basically, they almost immediately started to take things away from them. The story's very much been that Prince Harry and Meghan have walked away because they couldn't handle the stress, etc. And it's this like dramatic thing. But to hear them tell it, the firm as they are referred to, the institution, which is how both Megan and Harry referred to it, basically uh, from the get-go sought to sort of diminish what Megan's role would be. Because guess what? Spoiler alert, racism. <laughs> so, um, so her dreams didn't pan out like they did for John Goodman in 1991's King Ralph. I suppose. But yeah, they cut Prince Harry off. I mean, like, that's what you should do to any gender. What's interesting is like he talks to his grandmother, the queen, like quite frequently, apparently. But it's like not up to her solely. And they wouldn't name who some of these people were. And it's all very nefarious seeming. And Oprah was very funny because she was like, what do you mean? What do you mean you felt trapped, Prince Harry? You grew up in a palace. So, yeah. It was a prison. Um, they kind of, like, withdrew the security for them and think, I don't know, it's 
pretty shitty. Why didn't uh, anyone tell me cages could be gilded? <laughs> also, I, I assume what is going to be probably talked about a lot is um, part of the interview is that before their child was born, somebody who they wouldn't name expressed concern to Harry about whether that child would be like too dark skinned on some like real old timey like uh, octoroon kind well, of. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like they're literally a royal family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. They invented eugenics before we had the language of eugenics. So, yeah, I'd expect them to be like this. The poor dope that's uh, Prince Harry. He was like, what? This is the problem is we're at an era where Prince Harry is a lot, has the knowledge to be woke, but past the era where Prince Harry could chop off someone's head for saying that shit to him. And really, he should be allowed to chop somebody's yeah, head off. Yeah, no, I mean, like, whatever. You're a lowly servant. I'm the sovereign. You have to get your head chopped off if I say it's so. That's part of the deal. I didn't come up with the system. You guys did, and it sucks. But, you know, here we are. That's just the way nature is. That's how nature reflects back to human. A king it's, is only a king for he is treated like one, according to Zizek, who was using someone else's example. Speaking of abusive authorities, how's my man Cuomo doing? Uh, Cuomo-sexual. Yeah, I think the uh, speaker just said, like, he should resign. Yep, a bunch of uh, elite Democrats said that. Yeah, but, like, the speaker specifically I think has the authority to initiate impeachment. Will he still be governor by by the time this episode comes out. That's what... Yeah, probably. Like, also, I don't see him as the resigning type, frankly. Well, he said he's not going to resign. That's ridiculous. What did he do? Put his hand on a lady's shoulder or something? One or two or five or six ladies. Yeah, you know? we got to go through the proper process of uh, finding out who I touched and who I didn't touch. <laughs> it's anti-democratic for him to resign, is what his exact quote is. It's anti-democratic. It's anti-Italian discrimination. We always kiss hello. We kiss on the cheek, you know. Uh, I've kissed I a would thousand women my like I have. Sister's ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is just Italian culture. We grab mm -hmm. each other's asses. It's not sexual. That's true. Uh, someone grabbed my friend's ass in Italy, and when she confronted him, he said that he does it because he is a quote very Italian man. Yeah. So. No, it's not. I'm not. Yeah, and that's from the motherland. Then he put put it away on a motorbike. Yeah, with a sack full of bananas to throw at a black <laughs> fucking soccer player <laughs> because it's a part of his culture. It's not racist. It's just what they do. <laughs> Hey, his, I think they throw bananas more at gypsies. No, 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 no. Black, which... black soccer players, specifically Italy. Gypsies, they wouldn't really throw bananas at. Yeah, gypsies can't ball. What are you talking about? Yeah, like, they're just they throw... they're too busy committing crimes. Like, yeah, no, his family's first record of their existence was back in ancient Rome, where his like 18 time great grandfather threw a banana at a Nubian gladiator. It is mm. a long-standing tradition in this hypothetical Italian slash, I think I was originally specifically saying this is Andrew Cuomo person. Yes. Uh, I am loving it. Before though. anybody had access to a banana. 
Yeah, <laughs> literally, that is what Christopher Columbus initially his plans were. Were like, yo, we don't have fruit over here that work for throwing at black athletes. I think we should sail west to go to the East Indies and buy some bananas there. That's what he tried to do. I'm loving this though. I want him to go down. If he doesn't resign, I want Donatio to run against him. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Hand that fucking entire goddamn state to those guineas. <laughs> Wilhelm Donatio, my man who, uh, what was he, yelling about the Jews? Was that when he started getting called that because they were getting COVID too oh, much? Oh, yeah. And then he arrested a bunch for going to like a funeral. Yeah, well, grounding up words <laughs> of Hasidics is a sometimes necessary but never good-looking task of the New York mayor. It happens sometimes that you need to do mass arrests. Especially, especially in pandemics. They're, yeah, they're an ornery <laughs> bunch when you get them riled up. I'll just say that. And you can get them riled up by saying, hey... 8,000 of you shouldn't gather on Bedford Avenue because some respected rabbi just died. Or you could rile them up by saying, hey, it's taking away your property. Rabbi Schneerson just ran over a black child and they're angry <laughs> about that. You know, there's ways of getting the Hasidic community in New York riled up. When you do, they get very riled up. They never get medium riled up. Like, no, I mean, they, okay, they start is, burning shit. This is a thing Felix tweeted that people tried to cancel him for, but it's true, is um, <laughs> any other religious community that is like the Hasidic Jews would have the good sense to move to the middle of nowhere and farm something. It's only the Hasidic Jews who are like, yeah, we're going to be a cloistered, speak our own language, tightly controlled uh, ethno-religious community, but we're also going to live in the middle of the fucking most densely populated area. It's true. The Amish, they live out in the middle of the goddamn nowhere. Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Ohio and like whatever. The fucking fundamentalist more Mormons, same deal. Like these groups exist. It's just the Hasidics move to the middle of New York goddamn city for some fucking reason. It's like you don't like people. You don't generally enjoy the company of others. We know this about you, and that's fine because you think they're all in sin and whatever. But like, why do you live around them? Especially the black ones. Yeah, they don't like. They anyone. really. Well, yes, but they specifically are very racist. Yeah, they aren't fans of the Schwarz. But anyway, we should probably change the subject before we cross a line. <laughs> <laughs> What's the imaginary line that they have? Uh, that would be the uh, Eruth. Yeah, the Eruth. Eruth, um, Eruth. My favorite story about the Hasidics is before I started going into Williamsburg, I had this co-worker that I drove around with who was from Israel. He used to be like an HVAC installer in Israel. And every time we would drive around Williamsburg, he would flip them off and tell, <laughs> tell, <laughs> and, tell, and tell me how much he fucking hated them. Yeah, no, Israelis fucking hate. And also the, He's the like, Williamsburg uh, Hasids are the Satmars. I don't know if you saw that uh, video, that tweet that I shared. I said it in Yiddish because I'm trying to practice, but it literally translates to Purim in Williamsburg, and it's a bunch of Hasidic Jews just burning Israeli flags. It fucking owns. 
But yeah, no. Other than the Chabad-Lubavitch, which are the exception, the Hasidic Jews generally hate Israel. Like, that's the default. He would drive around anytime we had to go over the bridge to do a delivery in Williamsbury somewhere, and he'd be like, they're freaks. They're freaks. Yo, they're monsters. These people, they have no respect. They've got no respect back in Israel. We just spit on them. We can't spit on them here, but we used to spit on them. They don't join the army. No, they don't join the army. (laughs) They throw rocks at your daughter for wearing short sleeves. Like, they're they're annoying-ass people in Israel. (laughs) Like, they're really fucking annoying people. Um... Anyway, yeah, a, a lot of community, <laughs> rich culture. Yeah, I, I mean, I respect them. Like, none of that shit was meant to sound like, oh, they should move out. Of-. No, I love them for, like, just purposely inserting themselves into the most densely populated area on planet Earth, despite hating everyone. Like, that shit is funny as shit to me. Uh, and I love them for it. And also, I love them for at least kind of preserving the Yiddish language because it would have died out for by now, and that's Israel's fault. But um, yeah, uh, there's aspects of them I respect. The um, you know horribly controlled community, massive sexual abuse, blah blah blah. Yeah, it sucks. But uh, yeah, there's some good aspects. <laughs> well, this is our uh, I guess this is our review of uh... the. <laughs> Hasidism as a movement. Also, they slaughter cows differently, which, you know, is controversial, was controversial in the 1700s. Are we at the point? I think Bunny's trying to transition us into the Jordan Peterson talk. (laughs) Is that what you were trying to do? I feel like. I mean. Yeah, probably. I'm I'm ready. Yeah, so. Jordan Peterson has a new book. Yeah. Very excited about. It's called 12 um, More Rules for Life because why don't I just kill myself right now? Like, that's the worst fucking thing. Beyond Order. Yeah. Beyond just, order. Call it be- more rules. just call it Beyond Order and take the fucking word rule out from your title. Just just have chapter titles. Don't call them rule number whatever and call the book Beyond Order so it doesn't seem like you're just doing the same thing the last time. Well, I guess he could do that if he wasn't just writing your basic self-help formulaic situation. He wouldn't be a daddy if he didn't have a list of rules. Yeah, if he doesn't give you a sort of clear-cut prescriptive, what has he even done except prattle on about his boring, not, he's boring about a very not boring life. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's quite a feat how bored I can be hearing some of the craziest shit and that's just in the uh, overture. Okay, that overture he- seriously did. I have a Mr. Show sketch. Like, <laughs> written for that. We all say Kermit the Frog, but no, he sounds like Bob Odenkirk to an uncanny degree. Yeah. It's and, definitely. like, the idea of there being a Mr. Show sketch where it's like Bob Odenkirk narrating his life story as Bob Odenkirk is put in increasingly more absurd situations. Like, that could. <laughs> be a sketch <laughs> is what I'm saying. And like, uh, yeah, you like... All right, wait, 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 set it up. ...eating disorder and you wake up in a Russian sanatorium and like record skip, yep, that's me. You're probably wondering how I got myself into this mess. Well, it all started when... 
is a Mr. Show sketch. All right. <laughs> what Marlo is referring to is the first chapter, yeah, I guess, or the, the author's forward? Yeah. yeah. Forward he calls or it an intro. overture because he's a dick. He, yeah, he calls it an overture because he's a piece of shit. Yeah, it's, it's the intro or forward. It tells his tale of the last, what, year? Uh, yeah. Six months? Like fucking crazy ass year he had. <laughs> like, like, the six <laughs> months before COVID hit were crazy, and then the same stuff continued to happen while COVID hit. Is basically what happened in his life. Well, yeah, essentially, he was already living a pretty crazy existence. And what's funny about this overture to me is that he doesn't mention his daughter's weird diet thing, really. Does not mention sort of that just, at all. Yeah, he acts like this could have happened to anyone. Right. He <laughs> sure fucking does. And there is weeks upon weeks that he has no memory of. He's taken all over the world to heal from, you know, he's on benzos, but it was because of anxiety, and he only got addicted to the benzos because he didn't want to bother people with his anxiety. Like, (laughs) I went to high school with people addicted to benzos. Like, calm the fuck down, man. He acts like he's very special. Yeah, he acts like he invented being addicted to benzos. He's having outlier sort of experiences. Like, he went to rehab that specialized in benzos. What the fuck is that? <laughs> like, what even is that? Like, I, we only deal with people who are addicted to Xanax? See, I think it's somebody tricked them. Like, you, you do have places that are specific for, like, heroin or crack withdrawal. Yeah. Or, like, you do have these, like, spaces specific. I wasn't thinking Mr. Show. What I was thinking was, like, a Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, okay. I think, uh, like, I'll okay, where you're... For playing Hunter S. Thompson. I can't get Where past your fucking voice. I'm sorry. We had people in college that would watch that movie. Um, was it? Like, I was Fear and Loathing. Those people, you can just say yeah. that. Marlo, during college, would watch Fear and Loathing uh, in Las Vegas and then do the drugs as Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> in the movie would do the drugs. Yeah, it was like Rocky Horror, but with drugs. Well, with like drugs being a part of the thing rather than just the thing you do around it. So like Johnny Depp on screen would be like, oh, I'm getting my poppers and then we'd and get we the poppers. poppers. Yeah, poppers. It was fun as shit. It ruled. And then he would get out the ketamine and he'd, well, he'd into we'd all do... We would do whatever <laughs> drugs we had. He showed up with either at one point. Yeah, the shit ruled. I'm just saying that oh, these God. first 28 minutes of this overture. Yeah, it uh, was Barry Hunter S. Thompson. Eh? Like he did. Well, what if you did the same thing and you just started popping benzos every time he said he did benzos, and then he moves to his like ketamine phase? I, I just imagine like a scene waking up with like Bob Odenkirk like tied down to like one of those like tie down benches that they have whatever the fuck they're called and like just looking all around like Bob Odenkirk acting and like a bunch of Russian people speaking Russian <laughs> alright so yes he's this is all after the Zizak debate the Zizak debate happened and then this happened yeah and I'll confuse correlation with causation any day for that what else did he say in the intro that was interesting the way he takes great pains to yeah. describe every single thing as a inexplicable kind of it's so thing that's 
Yeah, like it's. He's like, and then I asked somebody, and they were like, "This is crazy, dude." <laughs> like, it was like he kept being like bringing up doctors and experts who were confirming that it was indeed an outlier response, or like, "Oh, it's it's very severe, or it's very serious," or his wife uh, is very seriously ill, and then she like recovers, and that's very unusual. And I, I just okay, so he he's got to be full of he shit. Cut off benzos, experienced withdrawal, then went back to his doctor uh, and said, I'm experiencing withdrawal. And the doctor's like, all right, I guess we'll wean you off. All very, like, understandable. And then skip a step. And then, like, he just does more benzos and also goes on ketamine. He's like, oh, I was getting, like, so anxious and I didn't want to bother anyone. So I uh, I got my benzos up and then I'm, oh, I'm having this, like, situation with the benzos. So then I try ketamine and he takes it twice and it's awful. He just, uh... Yeah, he went into <laughs> a little bit of a K-hole. That's all. I mean, yes. whatever. Give the dude un- some orange juice. Yeah, he said, uh, I don't know, an uncontrolled controllable, restless despair. Yeah, no, he, he went into a chaos. Uh, like, it's cool, dude. Like, we've mm-hmm. done He turned that. into a Kafka bug. I mean, like, mm-hmm. if this was 2004, he would simply write an experience entry on Arrowhead and not bother the rest of us about it until one day we had to go to his apartment to buy weed, and he would tell us <laughs> this over a Dave Matthews album. Like, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all good. Yeah, he went into a fucking I just love how he's that interesting yes i've also experienced ego death before on like three different occasions yeah it's weird he's uh really careful not to mention anything like from the past year and some change that was like memeable or whatever so leading up he doesn't mention the fucking apple cider did not say he doesn't mention didn't say apple cider didn't say beef i thought he did mention Mm -hmm. his he said he mentioned his daughter yeah he said a Yeah, he mentioned, he leaves it all up like very vague. But basically, we get to the point where he's put into a medically induced coma in order for him not to have to experience the worst of the benzo withdrawal. Okay, I just Um, have to say real quick though, like, yeah, just mm -hmm. if he was my shrink and I was explaining all this to him, he would tell me, buck the fuck up, number one. Number two, what did you do to, like, lead to this? What could you change? Based on the rest of what he says, including the parts of the books I listen to, it's like he's such a fucking passive agent in this intro in a pathetic way. Well, he's a passive agent until he gets to. And that's why I had to write beyond order, because we have to go beyond what I said in the other book, guys. And that's even very standard self-help. That doesn't even work, though, because. He didn't actually mention any actions he did. Absolutely. And this is why so what could have he it, changed? If he had read this book, would this have turned out differently? I don't think so. Well, uh, okay, yeah, he, he does diagnose in the intro the symptoms and the antidotes. I wrote this down. I think it was towards the end of the intro. Yeah, it's at the end of the intro because then it, he shows the full card. Well, that was chapter the, one came in, the full card happened. In the Overture, he goes, the symptoms are, and this is what he's addressing in the book, chaos, illness, and tyranny. And then the antidote is heroic redemption and love of family. At least that's like what he got from his experiences. 
And and resentment would have killed him if he had resentment of anybody around him. Right, but like again, which like of who you did it to yourself, sir? I mean, this is sort also sort He's of like low key letting you know he blames other people. Yeah, this is also sort of the like Jungian Buddhist bullshit of all this, yeah. which is just like, oh what? yeah, no, I'm fucking letting the life just roll off my back like a stream coming down a waterfall into bed or whatever the fuck. Yeah, then it gets into real self-help territory. The overture is so bizarre. Oh, my God. Like, it is really funny, though. I just have to say, because hearing him say it on the audiobook, and it just sounds like Bob Odenkirk, (laughs) and it's really fucking hilarious because you could just imagine like him then going and then i on a benzedrine trip uh met a gang of wild bears from alberta and they challenged me to a game of dice like you could just like see him just upping the (laughs) absurdity of all this and like bob odenkirk like acting it out on like 90s hbo with like some people in bear costumes fucking them up and shit ah yeah like i i could just like I had this running vision in my head. If I didn't have the love of my family to get me through the bear dice game, I would have died. Yeah, I, I would mean, have died. And if I resented the bears for taking my money, <laughs> then I would have died. Yes, the bears would take his money. Because <laughs> they're imaginary. And they're a- yeah, he'd absolutely get hustled by these Pokemon. There's a ketamine dissociative. They're not... Yeah, no, that would have been interesting, actually, if during his ketamine trip, he had some Jungian, like, collective unconscious. That's what I'm saying! I was thinking that. Why don't we get some Mandela shit? Like, at least there's something fun about Jung, which is dumb fucking hippie new age bullshit. Exactly, and this feels like the world's most boring hay house See, it's like, yeah, you read Jung and just uh, the Nazis in front of it. like that's it. <laughs> yeah, like just the woo-woo stuff. But yeah, like uh cuz often those books are, you know, some sort of like psychic medium or what have you. Yes. Guru of some sort who then tells a personal story of what's going on for them and then they've got some new yes. rules for you, some You've new exercises, some new 21-day saw a snake eating its own tail and then like mm-hmm. I don't know you're like a turtle was walking across the desert and turned its head and spoke to you in your grandmother's voice. Like, give me something. No, instead it gave him insight into how <laughs> fucked up drugs are. I don't are. know. What is it? Yeah, no, I mean, he's, like his insights yeah, was, wow, that means well, wacky. <laughs> Which, like. Yeah, you have this whole overture. It's this. I mean, all it's like. Story, and then you, you, you get, spend get a year and a half doing a shitload of drugs and you conveniently forget a month and a half of that year and a half. It sounds mm-hmm. like you're. Yep. Uh, deferring responsibility. (laughs) It sounds like the story of someone who is deferring responsibility, which I have to say in chapter six, he doesn't like the idea of deferring responsibility. Nope. Or creating a villain. Well, no, he specifically said there's too much of a focus on so-called rights and not enough focus on responsibility. He said that. We have spent too long for the last 50 years talking about rights, and there's no noble burden in society. Yeah. 
Which is like, just, I, I mean, again, it's like, I mean, like, opportunity all of lurks where responsibility lacks. I kind of feel like trying to deconstruct his politics or philosophy at this point is sort of useless because, like, I mean, at least better people than me have done it already. And uh-huh. also, it's just like, I mean, that quote Steve read is just so fucking cliche and uninteresting yeah and like there's not a social burden or whatever the fuck like i've heard no noble burden in society yeah and like that entire chapter it was just like this kind of bullshit I all right all right well we'll get to chapter what about chapter one you all read chapter oh listen to chapter mm-hmm. one yeah which is his uh i i like to call well, it lonely well, dude time i forget yeah. what was that about again his objective. Okay, no, there was where, a thing uh, from it. What was the thing from it? Is it about the yeah, waiter? Yeah, okay. So it had the waiter. Well, well it starts out waiter having it starts a, out with a lonely dude who Oh, that's right. That he he is I've been listening to this guy. He's talk. been talking to me for uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, ten down. years and he he's lost his relationships and he's you know, he he doesn't have any social skills and whenever he go anywhere And even when he got a girlfriend, she got killed <laughs> right away. It's like Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I kind of remember the case study. I I, I just don't doubt all the details. He, he healed himself with playing guitar in front oh, of groups of people. About rat play? Yeah, he gets into rats oh, later. Okay, yeah. okay, I remember this. But he goes into this lonely dude, which is the first like insight he has, which is something about mm-hmm. relationships healing loneliness. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like by yeah. definition. <laughs> oh are you lonely (laughs) try making friends (laughs) and i just love the the idea of uh dr jordan peterson assessing other people for social awkwardness (laughs) like his speech lacked the rhythm of a person who's like, like Good at Every one of his patients is some, like, dude who's somewhere on the spectrum, probably was, like, a so-called gifted kid or whatever, who always just self-assesses themselves to be socially awkward. And I, I'm saying that as I'm one of those dudes. Like, yeah, this is me. But, yeah, I feel like he's just calling them socially awkward because they've called themselves that. Mm-hmm. And he moves from there to Freud and Jung. Right, yeah. He constantly yes. reframes them in the most superficial-ass way possible, but not as superficial as he does Nietzsche later, but holy shit. Yeah, yeah right. Um, well, he compares the id, ego, and superego to the three branches of government. Though that ruled. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, also, like, after, like, reading Zizek, after reading Sublime Object of Ideology, and, like, mm-hmm. trying to wrap my head around Lacan, and, like, just being in this state of, like, constant self-doubt about what does he really mean by this, and looking at this video, that video, this essay, trying to, like, piece together what does he mean by this, and it's like, oh, yeah, the id, the ego, and the superego are, like, the three branches of government 
God damn. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy shit, that rules. He, he's very reductive. He's like Freud and Young Extremely interpreted the inner being, but didn't answer the social questions. So he's here to apply them to social questions. You know who answered the social question? Jesus. <laughs> Which is pretty much his answer for yeah, everything. It really yeah. is. Whereas Zizek is resurrecting Hegel through Lacan via Marx or reading Lacan through Hegel via Marx. Sorry. Yeah, that's what Zizek is doing. And he is reading Young through Freud via Jesus and also Disney princesses. And then he talks about his granddaughter. Yeah, the king of Spain. Princess Angelina, Contessa, Luisa, Francesca, Banana Fana, Bobesca, the third. <laughs> what was her name? Uh, I'm looking it up. It's, she's got so many names. <laughs> Somebody please say her name. Say my name. Say it my is name. Philippe Juan Pablo Alfonso de Todos Los Santos de Bourbon y Grecia. No, but what's her actual name? Elizabeth Scarlett Peterson Horikova. <laughs> No, like, there are, like, Arab princes from 800 AD with shorter names. She points a bunch? Oh, that yeah. Was the she- thing. It reminded me of the mirror stage with Lacan, but stupider. Yeah, it's definitely... <laughs> when it's you point to something, stage. you're naming something is like pointing to something. Yeah, no, great. Like, he almost said sign and signifier, but that would be yeah. gay. <laughs> I thought of Sister, and I was like, yeah, get into structural... But yes, he's very, he's delighted and fascinated by her. Which, sure, you're um, into psychoanalysis. You want to see your, like, granddaughter, like, point to something and wonder if it's a penis. I don't know. and then he gets into like using the word floor he talks about the floor yeah 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 okay so that was one of the glad i took notes yeah no i remember this it was like some like ontological thing about words yeah, it's like floors. It, they're different yeah, than walls. Yeah, it reminded yeah, me of the Mitch Hedberg joke. <laughs> he had a whole, like, it was yeah. a long, no, I mean, it was a long walk to just, like, do that thing that if you're a philosophy 101 student trying to write a philosophy book, you're going to say this is how words are defined. Yes. Well, he's gearing up to get to his next point, which is, And what should we point to? And who's pointing at who? And where should your attention be pointed? Which is first of several, like, dog whistle, like, law of attraction, woo-woo type of Mm, pieces of advice. There's a lot of the self-help woo-woo authors, and that some of them are very prolific, publishing book after book after book. And quite frequently, it's one set of rules or multi-week system or 40-day whatever after another, right? And typically, the intro into whatever the you know, method of the moment is a personal story about whatever they're doing. 
And then whatever sort of spiritual, philosophical precepts mm-hmm. they're pushing, they like funnel it through some personal story or an example. And it's interesting because it's very similar because Jordan Peterson will talk about his clients, his patients, and the woo-woo people, they'll talk about the people they've done readings mm. for or their, you know, their yeah, coaching yeah. clients, their whatever. So they can make up this sort of Frankenstein of those patients or clients to illustrate whatever point or tip or trick they're trying to push forth. But what I thought was interesting is that even in the bits that I tuned into for this, there were several things that were very much just kind of your basic law of attraction type of trendy kind of ideas. And starting with talking about attention and what should we point to? What should your attention yeah. point to? That's a really popular law of attraction precept that it really matters where your attention's pointed. And, you know, Peterson doesn't go as far as to say, and then like you'll manifest what you desire if your attention is pointed correctly, but is implying in a more mundane way that exact thing. <laughs> it's, that's what I felt was sort of interesting to me is that he doesn't, venture into any explicitly woo territory but it's all it's all like dog whistle gratitude's also very big um and these are just like the regular tried and true aspects of those kinds of books like if you do these things if you express gratitude it'll have this like sort of magical effect on how you feel and how other people feel about you it'll make your life better and i'm not like saying that these things are true or untrue. It's just really interesting to see him tread that same territory, almost as if I question whether he was reading some of these kinds of books. <laughs> Maybe that's all he could grasp in these moments because his brain done got turned off for <laughs> six to eight weeks of last year. I mean, so. okay. I will say, uh, number one, Bonnie is our uh, resident woo expert. Uh, so we should acknowledge that. But I will say I actually was uh, speaking to this about this uh, with, incidentally, my therapist as I was bitching about listening to Jordan Peterson for this dumb fucking podcast. Today. <laughs> uh, and no, so what he does and also, uh, hi, Dr. Gina, if she is listening. No, what he does is what I call like the cult self-help shit, which is I remember uh-huh. watching a documentary about uh, Scientology at one point and someone talking about how you get this advice, which is like, oh, if you have multiple tasks, what you should do is focus on one task and sing it through to completion and then move on to the other task, which is a completely practical advice, which is fine, that you don't need to join Scientology to get. And it's the same thing where it's like from the first book, it's like, oh, make your fucking bed in the morning. Like if you are feeling out of control and like you're not accomplishing anything, at the very least, you can tell yourself, hey, I made my bed. That's a thing in your control that you can do. And it's like, yeah, that's valid. That works for some people, depending on the situation you're in. You know, obviously, it's not a cure all and in conjunction with other shit, but that is not bad thing um but you know jordan peterson isn't the smartest man in the world for telling you that 
Well, so little of what he's actually arguing for is based on any like academic intellectual stuff. Right. It's all this platitudinal kind of common sense or practical, like, you know, that's my annoyance with the title where it's just like, could you at least pretend for my sake that you're an intellectual? Like, could you at least call it beyond order and just keep the chapter titles the same and drop the rule aspect and just like act like, oh, this is not just a fucking self-help book. Can we talk about the title and what he means by beyond order? Because we that... should and then we need to quickly move on to chapter six. Because... To chapter six. <laughs> but, I think yeah, it'll transition the well title. into well, it'll transition into chapter six because it does seem like a tip off to Nietzsche, like uh, beyond good and evil. Uh, yeah, the thing that it reminds me of first and foremost. But his whole thing is like order and chaos. And in the last book, it was we need to like you were saying this, Bunny. We need to get rid of or overcome chaos to bring order into our life. I'll hit that. And to use the German word for overcome, which also yeah. Hegel uses in sublimation. And then in this book, he's like, well, we need to like use chaos to go beyond order, which was like, we need to negotiate with chaos because chaos well, is yeah, the feminine like he- artistic creativity yes. that... Well, and now he's doing a, a kind of a lazy, like when the self-help people get into a sort of superficial Jungian territory where they talk about like shadow integration, like that's all he's doing there. Is, what's, is what's shadow like, integration? Yeah, explain this shit, Bonnie. So, of course, there's the whole Jungian sort of psychology and archetypes, et cetera, <laughs> et cetera, animus, blah, blah, blah. But what kind of filters through to the self-help woo world is uh, especially the idea of your shadow self which is the unintegrated aspects of your psyche the things that you are ashamed of your darker thoughts or feelings things that you were taught to be ashamed of that you don't like to look at the idea is that by integrating this self into your conscious psyche that you can then free yourself from the suffering that the shadow can cause in your world. More or less, this is how it's presented. So there's plenty of people who, you know, they take that as a philosophical framework. You know, they're like, it's a metaphor, you know, for things that make you feel bad and how you can sort of organize your thoughts around it, right? It goes from that end of the spectrum all the way to like its own entity that you have to like magically, ritually integrate into yourself in order to excel in life and free yourself from suffering. Some people are quite like a woo literalist about it. Like it's a thing that could get you so like so <laughs> and yeah so it's just not like it's in. it's more not really supposed to have a negative connotation it's not bad so it's sort um, of an eastern philosophy just, like adversary negative but not yeah definitely and um certainly this is something when we're talking about like the young stuff uh, i'm definitely more familiar with joseph campbell and how you know the model myth blah 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 because i studied mythology i watch um, star wars so, so we are the uh, same so like like those themes come up in many ways, but I was 
interested to see him sort of propose it in a way that matched kind of the sort of loosey-goosey. A lot of people who are into tarot cards are really into Jungian archetypes. So the fact that he uses the full tarot card to like start off his first chapter yeah it just made me feel like he couldn't really digest anything difficult to read yeah he's like (laughs) change your thoughts change your life that even goes back to the zizek (laughs) debate where his strategy was zizek is a marxist so i'm going to give a very lazy refutation of the communist manifesto where you would think like he might say oh zizek is a lacanian and i I'm a Jungian and we're both united through Freud and we can have a conversation there. Except I don't think he's even fucking read Jung that well. That's what I'm saying. He sounds like the girls that are into tarot cards who have like watched some videos about Jungian archetypes. Like he seems so like so removed from the more academic side of like. See, my theory behind the Zizek debate is that he saw the title happiness and he saw that his opponent was a Marxist who would be arguing in defense of Marxism and that he had to critique Marxism or defend capitalism and he's just like oh I guess that's all the information I need to know it doesn't really matter who it is yeah I mean I'm just gonna follow that prompt He, he seems like somebody who follows a prompt and then tries to fill in the dead spaces afterwards and god fucking forbid you try reading sublime object which i read i can't we both did yeah we both read it and i well i can speak for myself and say i don't know that i really grasp all of it but i would say i don't have a background in freud Peterson does. Peterson has an academic background in Freud. He probably could have actually engaged with that a bit. <laughs> but it's it's clear that he, and this is getting into chapter six, that he doesn't like philosophy and he, he doesn't does, like yeah. philosophy, but he thinks of himself as the best philosopher. And he, Which is and very he, Ayn Rand, I'll say. Yes, very, uh, yeah, I was and Actually, that was a point that I sort of danced around earlier that I'll say th- his discussion about the floor. Ayn Rand has mm-hmm. a similar discussion in uh, the epistemology of objectivism, which is one of her like attempts at a philosophic work that like it's very built on this like I I was talking about how like philosophy 101 trying to write I was just saying Ayn Rand for all of that I was talking about Ayn Rand Uh, Mm -hmm. when you're trying to construct what you think a philosophy book should look like you do this like fucking prescriptivist idea of well when we speak words what we are doing is making reference to the reality and blah 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 it's like what the floor thing was and Ayn Rand does that very explicitly in epistemology and she even uses the actual classical example of a table and saying like well a table is a table and obviously you should define a table which if you get into like philosophy a table is often used as a example of an ambiguous thing 
where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, if there's a mm-hmm. flat rock in the middle of the woods and I put food on it and I eat off that rock, is that rock a table? Was that rock a table before I ever walked through the woods? Does that rock remain a table after I leave? Like, what does make a table? It's structurally identical to a table, but it doesn't have the intentionality, blah, blah, blah. And, like, Ayn Rand just, like, very strongly glosses over that entire controversy and is just like, well, it's a fucking table, dumbass. And Mm -hmm. Peterson very much in the same way seems to be echoing Ayn Rand in that, where it's like, yeah, no, philosophy's easy. I just have to, like, say things that are things. Yeah, so I guess let's get to rule number six. Which was, to me, the most Um, interesting chapter. Well, the most obvious calling Mm -hmm. to Zizek, and I would love, once the pandemic's over, I'm going to start just pestering Zizek at every free lecture he gives in New York City and just ask him if he read chapter six of Beyond Order. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be like the Joker all over again, um, but just for chapter six of Beyond Order, 12 More Rules of Life, why? we need to overcome ideology and how we can easily overcome ideology if we simply say ideology is stupid. <laughs> well, yeah, so rule number six is uh, abandon yeah. ideology. Easy. And uh, this is the chapter where he actually mentions Marx and, uh, and Derrida, my boy. Derrida and Foucault uh, in literally one sentence because and Foucault they're floating signifiers, was, yeah. which he doesn't know that it is because he's a stupid person. <laughs> and because he's a stupid person, he sort of kind of lumps them all together as he will uh, as these people who are reducing things to power. Yeah, Derrida reduces like, oh, why is it that when you read novels, they are like a certain way? (laughs) He does the opposite of reduce too. Yeah, no, he... Yes, Peterson's entire concept of postmodernism is explicitly the opposite of what postmodernism is. Even beyond that, like, Derrida never talks about power. He talks about, like, verbs. I mean, he Well, he yeah, he, talk- he, he talks about law, he talks about justice, and he talks about the ambiguities about where power comes from. And if power is um, taken from some higher law, then how does it translate or be mistranslated through systems such as the justice system or the penal system or the law system, which or he also looks at Kafka. <laughs> and even in his of grammatology, he very explicitly says this is a question of justice. You know, this is a question of language and text are part of our larger social fabric. And if those things are unstable forces, then is there any authority that we're taking from law and justice? And if there's anything in Derrida that he identifies as a villain is phallogocentrism, which is like a massive topic of just meaning basically... Like God is has a penis for every philosopher. God has God has <laughs> well, a penis for every also philosopher. Logocentric, but like also that's right. Logocentrism and phallogocentrism. Literally, like we like talking. Like I mean, like it just a lot of Derrida is so fucking abstracted from anything you would like relate to a 
political cause in the most immediate sense. And that's not a denigration on Derrida or to say he doesn't speak to the political because he does. But like the corpus of his work is often very like abstracted from that. I would argue his last 20, 30 years. Yeah. Specifically only devoted to the political, and he views deconstruction inherently as a political thing that can be used in a political way. But that's just because I've been reading all of his political work lately on responsibility. Yeah, but okay, how prescriptivist is is it? I mean, there's Politics of Friendship, which is his big political work, which directly looks at Carl Schmitt which is the Nazi philosopher of He's the politics. Nazi philosopher who makes us all go, man, Heidegger seems really moderate. <laughs> yeah. He's very explicit about Heidegger and how he deconstructs his relationship to Nazism. Then he has the specters of Marx, which is pretty explicit about Marxism. But, okay, as I have read it, and I can't say I've totally internalized it, I will just say I wouldn't read specters of Marx and leave thinking Marxism is good necessarily. Like, I'm not... He leaves it You wouldn't say it's bad either. He's talking about Marxism's role as a thing. After the fall of the Soviet Right. And he's like, it's his discussion of that as like a political program, but also as an era and as a part of our being. And like, it's not providing a necessarily strong prescriptive model of how we should shape our politics in relation to Marxism necessarily. Well, I can debate that all night, which I would love to, but (laughs) what is interesting about his thing about Foucault is that Foucault was very explicitly like a Nietzschean, at least his later work was very influenced by Nietzsche and he does talk about power a lot. Yeah. And in rule six, Peterson talks about Nietzsche in what I'm calling like the most, like Mm -hmm. he's a Nietzschean, but like for Down syndromes. Who Peterson claims to love. Same with Ayn Rand. I'm going to just real quick point out Ayn Rand famously shits on every philosopher except Aristotle and Nietzsche. Yeah. She famously misreads both of them. What was her famous misreading of Nietzsche? I forget exactly, but it's dumb. But it's less dumb than Jordan Peterson because (laughs) she at least understands that Nietzsche thinks that like at the end of the day, the strong should dominate the weak and goes off that as her thing. Mm-hmm. You know, superficial as a reading as it is, Jordan Peterson lacks that level of understanding. Yeah, I mean, so he watched a biopic about Nietzsche, and he's like... I, Made by the Methodist Church. I fucking love this guy. <laughs> he seems to not, like, know the one thing that every jaded high schooler knows about Nietzsche, which, again, is cliche but true, that Nietzsche thinks Christianity's fucking stupid (laughs) it's like literally that's like yeah oh yeah oh you're getting to Nietzsche and you think like the church is getting but like that's literally is what Nietzsche thought in my notes I have Nietzsche quote God is dead in bathrooms and then under it 
Nietzsche likes God, actually. Nietzsche was sad that God was dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always kind of interpreted a little bit of that in Nietzsche, which is Ye that moral society is degrading and we've lost God and we've killed God and therefore... Yeah, I mean, I think it was like God served a practical purpose that is no longer available, but also that was a toxic thing that he served. And like not for even the reasons I think the church as an institution is degrading to society. Like my understanding is I kind of disagree with Nietzsche about a lot of things about the church, but like he didn't think the church was good. He is more right about Dostoevsky which he brings up right after mm -hmm. Nietzsche because Dostoevsky like ruined well in my opinion ruined every single message of his books by just ham fisting a Christian message at the end of it yeah. crime and punishment the dude fucking killed an old woman gets hunted down by the police to spawn an entire system of law and order episodes ends up in jail and then the Christian prostitute comes in and gives him the Bible which he reads to make him a better person. There's always that like turn right. in Dostoevsky where society sucks, we're cold and we're miserable because we live in fucking St. Petersburg in the 1800s. But, you know, at the end, you'll have God to turn to. For me, it was the difference between Dostoevsky and Nietzsche because Nietzsche never had that turn. He just went, nah, it's bad and we should kill God. <laughs> Kierkegaard had a similar, like, we need to have a leap of faith right. attitude, which is... Which I feel like is what Peterson read on top of Nietzsche from his right. own asshole. But, like, okay, the one thing I can relate to it, because I really haven't read Nietzsche. I have not read Dostoevsky. Oh, he's so much fun to read. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not denying him, but, like, obviously I have extensively <laughs> read Marx and the one thing I could relate it to a little bit of what Peterson is doing is similar to the concept of in Marx's time and in our time the notion of this nostalgia turn where the transition from feudalism to capitalism has made life difficult, alienating, materially worse in certain ways for many people. And then putting on top of that, therefore, we should return to feudalism, which mm -hmm. is something that Marx never did. But a lot of people tried to do that with him. And then in our modern day, you have that with the Fordism, post-Fordism thing mm -hmm. of the transition to post-Fordism has carried these markers of horrid alienation, material uh, harm, etc., Therefore, so we need to go back to factory union jobs. Right. And the answer in both of those cases and the answer that Nietzsche had for Christianity and Marx had for capitalism is no, you should not look back because back is stupid and also dead even if it wasn't stupid. You need to look forward. Peterson essentially, he is the post-left for Nietzsche. Is the Amy Therese of Nietzsche. Well, he's like of the Protestant 
Protestant Nietzsche. He's just reading his own Protestant meta narrative into Nietzsche, which is just well, annoying. Yeah, I mean, it's similar to Amy Therese reading Marx about how we need to return to like some weird tradcath, like Fortis bullshit. I mean, okay, so he literally does say that Nietzsche is lamenting the death of God, that he is lamenting the loss of Judeo-Christian values which built Western civilization. That is his words. <laughs> yeah, he really falls off here. He <laughs> like legit, okay, like th this, yeah. Okay, Jordan Peterson legitimately says that he interprets Nietzsche's death of God quote to mean that Nietzsche wished that we still had Judeo-Christian values which built Western civilization as a bedrock for society and that it is bad that rational critiques of the existence of God undermine that. That is his <laughs> interpretation so of Nietzsche's death of God, quote. And, like, that needs to be said out loud because his... Shell game about postmodernism to postmodern neo-Marxism or whatever. There's some certain niche philosophical things you need to know to know why that is obviously wrong. This is if you're a depressed high school student, you have the reading materials in front of you to refute this uh, <laughs> yeah. assertion by Jordan Peterson. Like, if you're just a high school student who, I don't know, like, I don't know what depressed kids listen to nowadays, but, like, if you had a Zanga page in, like, 2002, you would know why this is bullshit. Okay, I also think he's using Nietzsche as, to quote you, a floating signifier for individualism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, much like Ayn Rand does, which is to, like, rewrite Nietzsche as the supreme individualist. And he gets into this when he talks about Nazis later. Well, he I also gets into We should it, get into. Yeah, when he talks about Nietzsche's commentary on socialism, which Nietzsche hated socialists for the same reason he hated Christians, because to Nietzsche, they both preach the idea of we should protect the weak, which Nietzsche thought was stupid. Like, that's why he hated socialists, and that's why he hated Christian morals. His point was the idea that, like, oh, yes, we should help the weak and help the downtrodden was not a thing that was universal to human history. It was actually, if you look at religious, philosophic, ideological movements in human history, kind of an aberration. He also uses Nietzsche and Dostoevsky to critique the Soviet Union in a very weird Hegelian way almost, in a dialectical way, where he says, oh, Nietzsche and Dostoevsky... They both foresaw that communism would be attractive, and they both warned us of its horrors. <laughs> Did they? Like, there are a lot of socialist they characters in Dostoevsky's novels, and they're always the most attractive characters. They're also the most idealistic and kind of... Uh, yeah, because they were like fucking neurotist SR types. Right, they were the pie-in-the-sky... Populist, um, but in the Russian populist, Yeah, whereas Tolstoy is kind of more on their side. 
because he was an anarchist, yeah. a Christian anarchist. And if anyone should read Tolstoy, it should be Jordan Peterson. Honestly, like I uh, just kind of want to teach Jordan Peterson a class. <laughs> show him who's the real daddy yeah like just sit the fuck down here's a reading list and let's talk about this okay i don't get what he i mean i do get what he means by ideology but i think it's also a projection well, um, he has this quote yeah. that i wrote down the true meaning of life is not to be found in what is objective but what is subjective and universal yeah, which is like also an ideology. <laughs> like Which is yeah, and it and also it's a totalizing like, ideology. I just have to say, when you say yeah. something's universal, that's totalizing. How is he not doing the thing he is trying to criticize? Well, yeah, he keeps critiquing the concepts of totalizing ideologies, but like okay. provides his own like holistic totally theory. Totalizing of ideology. Like yeah. well, this was my prediction was that he was going to do, you know, forget what you know about slipcovers. And then he's going to try to sell you on slipcovers. And he's doing that right here where he's going, forget what you know about ideologies, abandon ideologies. Let me sell you on some ideology, motherfucker. He's not just like coming for Marx and et cetera. He's also like abandon the idea of fighting anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like a thing we glossed over that I feel like is a whole thing in and of itself. Well, I think it could be yeah. pretty summed up in what he kind of says about and to women, because within that is like the idea of fighting the patriarchy is like a waste of it's it's the same as the sad boy who's not making enough friends, like a, a woman getting caught up in. Like, or the waiter who learned how to be happy being like it's. Yes. I mean, it most reminds me of Plato's Republic, where he discusses what is um, courage, I think. You know, mm -hmm. you probably read it in the original ancient Greek and you're going to call me an <laughs> asshole. Um, yeah. but the like notion that like according to Plato like courage is essentially enthusiastically embracing what your role in society is and not trying to change it. I guess that is what Plato is arguing what Socrates. Oh yes, this is a Socratic dialogue of Plato's. Yeah. I wasn't Well no, which I always like to think of is I had a classmate in prep school who was a very strange girl who one time pulled me into an intense conversation and was like, I am just like Socrates. It's very important to me to follow the rules like for me in whatever scenario I'm in. And I was like, man, that seems dumb as shit. I yeah, think it's I mean, dumb like, Socrates died. <laughs> like, that's the kind of conversation I... I and that is interesting uh, that, like, Socrates was like, follow the rules, and everyone was like, we need to kill him. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, <laughs> because... <laughs> God damn, your people are weird. Well, yeah. because they're all sitting around talking about what a man is. We all know it's a featherless chicken. Yeah. Anyway. Until, what does, does Jordan Peterson talk about Diogenes? 
I, I, probably not. Probably not. But um, there is a another part. I, I don't know what chapter it is, but he's basically like, maybe it is in this chapter where he says, like, we lie to women. Like, basically, he just goes way old school on, on those things. Uh, women have been lied to that they can be satisfied with a career because most women would make immense sacrifice to bring a child into the world. And I mean, like, I will just say that's like, incredibly insulting to men <laughs> like that you would not like I, i'm sorry i the way i was raised i fully expect my father to uh sacrifice everything for me and my sister because he loves <laughs> us and he's our father and that's like what i expect that's how i was raised so like fuck off dude that that's like a unique fucking experience of the mother. Or that the issue that women are dealing with is a internal grappling with ideological well, yeah, I mean, things and not yeah. like, and not that society doesn't function in a way. Well, yeah, that- yeah, and like at the very least, the dialectic between the outside and the inside, which I don't know, like my understanding of Lacan by Zizek is Lacan is very much enmeshed in this idea of the self is this conversation between where it is and what it wants to be and this tension that is like external and internal and like all things in between. I don't quite understand it, but like his notions of like the individual and yeah it just well he's all over the place there was an interesting theme of encouraging people to not think about there's a bit where he says like if you're depressed don't think about the world yeah which i also think is interesting from a perspective of how society functions uh, how much does it affect our mental health etc so he's just like don't even nope make your bed clean your room he talks about Which- it like it is impossible to fight capitalism patriarchy environmental catastrophe right. and he lists all of these things mm-hmm. off as like things weak people do and if you just make your bed and clean your room first, then maybe you can imagine yourself doing those things while never well, actually like, being able to do it. Hundred percent says it is absolutely a thing that is beyond any sort of ability. It is a part of your reality and you need to accept it. And there's nothing you can do about it. And if you think there's something you can do about it, what that You're means, a loser. That what that means is there's a problem with you that you don't want to confront. And so you're externalizing. That, yes, yeah. Yeah, you, because your room isn't clean and your your things aren't in order. That's why you're focused on these problems out there, is his argument. And externalizing means that you're creating villains. So if, you're, um, if wealth is the problem and the wealthy are perceived as the villains, if power is the problem, then the people with power are the villains. If masculinity is the problem, then men themselves are the villains. And, you know, he's here obviously talking wealth is... Marx, Powers, Foucault, and 
Derrida and masculinity is all feminism. Mm-hmm. Um, body without <laughs> organs is to lose. But yeah. it is interesting here. He makes a distinction between religious fundamentalists, who he thinks are good, and ideologues, which are bad. Oh yeah, that sucks. Okay, like uh, I mean, honestly, the best way to accomplish this when the pandemic's over. Here's my idea: we do a Twitch channel. We're listening to the audiobook start to finish live reacting like it's fucking uh mst3k no i agree (laughs) yeah no i I think think that's the way to do it because holy shit i could walk through this yeah and we could stop it like every paragraph and just discuss the previous bowl of shit that he just served yeah it what are we even talking about sorry i i forgot um okay he sides with religious fundamentalists okay over ideologues because at least they religious have funda- an air because, of mystery. Well, no, religious fundamentalists are subservient to God because they believe in God, so they therefore acknowledge a higher being, whereas ideologues or academics think of themselves as like these rational beings who um, know things, you know, these bitches that know things. Right. Um, Which- and that they produce they're not submissive to anything and beware he says it over and over ideology explains everything and therefore not submissive to anything be wary of ideologues villains are bad and often just projections to put forth an ideology and justice is just envy and resentment yeah and no, so that's he, how i was able to talk my way out of being captured by Hezbollah when I said, hey, do you know what Allah thinks at all times? And they were like, no. And I was like, maybe he's thinking Jews are cool. And they were like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he is thinking Jews are cool. All right, dude, go. What does that even mean? Uh, The notion that the religious fundamentalists like inherently accepts there is some mystery to the world that they can't know God and therefore they don't have all the answers makes them it it doesn't matter in a practical sense on the world that you exist right now as a religious fundamentalist you figured out God to the extent that any human on earth can If God comes down from the sky and says you're wrong, okay. But short of that, you got it figured out. And likewise, as a ideologue from a, again, totalizing ideology, which I'll happily admit Marxism is a totalizing ideology. So is what Jordan Peterson is saying. So is Christianity. Many things in the world are totalizing ideologies. That's not an insult. That's just literally what the fuck like the word means. But like if you're a Marxist, there's no way you individually think that you know every aspect of Marxism. You might think Marxism has all the answers, but you don't personally know all that. You might think liberal bourgeois capitalism has all the answers or christianity or christianity or like whatever but like the notion of christianity isn't oh if you don't intimately literally know everything god thinks in a given moment you don't know anything no it's god has provided 
all the answers you need to exist in the world right now. And if you don't have those answers, there's a prescriptive way of trying to search for them through God because it's a totalizing ideology. That's what it is, which is fine. I think mine is better and they think theirs is better, but... I'm not going to pretend that yeah, like one thing isn't a totalizing ideology. How could it be? Because ideologies are to be abandoned. Uh, ideologies are only commies and Nazis. Like that's the only mm -hmm. way. That's the radical centrism is to believe that things that have an ism at the end of it are not me. Therefore, they're this other, this ideology that is something foreign that should be that is an invading force. He he treats these things as invading forces. No, again, like there is a drug dealer in 2003 you could go to to listen to him talk about how we need to get past the isms while listening to a sweet DMB track and buying an eighth of weed. Which, you know, I think Jordan Peterson should probably smoke some weed. I mean, yeah, like mix it in with the ketamine. Go nuts, dude. I think that's part of his problem is that he just skipped over the sensible uh, substances. I am going to slip Jordan Peterson some 60x salvia extract, <laughs> bought off I am Shannon, and then make him write an arrowid trip report. <laughs> yeah. Like Jordan Peterson's problem is he didn't go to college in the mid 2000s. And I will accept him. <laughs> well, uh, we did it. We partially listened to. <laughs> Jordan and just be kind of bonkers. Uh, I will say that live stream, I kind of like that idea and we should think about it. I agree. I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to Let's it. Let's put it in the to-do list. Yeah. All right, guys. Wrapped it up. Get beyond order. One year. Oh, yeah. One year. year. Yeah. Happy right, birthday, Yeah, happy birthday, Happy Marla. birthday, both of you. Happy birthday, Rosa Luxembourg. Bye. <laughs> Bye. He's got Hello, everyone. Apologies for the delay. I hope this is all working. Hopefully, I'm up to this. I'm learning how to manage this, I think. I'm not really interested, I suppose, in slowing down, although it has been a bit much in the last year and a half. I do better in some ways when I'm working flat out. So, yeah, I thought about slowing but I've decided against it. There are times in your life where it's not time to slow down, it's time to become more efficient. That's the thing, you can become so efficient. You end up doing things in five minutes that would otherwise take you a week. As you take on more responsibilities, and you determine that you're going to become more efficient, the responsibility pushes the efficiency. What do they say to 
There's time enough to sleep when you're in the grave.